You know, I am so excited about what we've been talking about the last few weeks, about God's holiness. And the Lord is really um, challenging me and opening me up to a whole uh, another dimension of what it is to follow Jesus. And, uh, and I will just say that, as I said last week, and I'll say it again, that I cannot stress enough that the holy life is a happy life. The holy life is a life of freedom. It's a life free from all forms of guilt and shame. It's a life that gives peace, assurance, a purpose, fulfillment, without any loss of excitement and fun in this life. And then I have to look forward to a life of eternity where I can truly stand before Jesus and know because I've lived a holy life on this life, I know he's going to say, well done. Because I've lived a holy life today, not because I want him to when I get there. The only way he's going to say, well done, is if I am well done. Not rare. <laughs> I'm well done. I'm holy, holy. Right, Jackie? We are W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy. And when I am become holy, holy, I am happy and I have peace in my heart and I have joy beyond comprehension that I just can't know where it comes from. Now, I will tell you that life will still throw its stuff at you. I am not promising nor am I suggesting by any means that when you give your life to Jesus that he's taken all your problems. If I did that, I would be lying to you because the Bible even says you will have trouble in this life. So I'm not saying you're not going to have trouble, but I am saying that you're going to have peace in the midst of the trouble. I'm saying that if I can live a holy life, I'm going to take away so many of the things that I've caused to have grief in my life. Because we've all made choices that are maybe some of the lingering problems in my life, the things that I can't get over right now very easily, maybe they're the ones that I've caused because of my poor choices when I was younger. Right? You know what I'm talking about? So if I live a holy life, I am going to eliminate so much of the stuff that's going to come into my life that I'm the one causing it. That doesn't mean there's not going to be other stuff. At least the stuff that does come, it's not my fault. Right? And so when I can fight a fight that way, when I can know that I am fighting a fight of righteousness because I'm living a life of holiness, it gives me a whole new way of standing up to the stuff that comes to me. I can tell the liar, I can tell the devil that he is a liar because he can't pin it on me anymore. He can't say, well, you did this, therefore the consequences of that are this. Yes, there are consequences of sin. And yes, there are things that I'm dealing with in my life because of sin in my life previously. Yes, that's true. And when the devil brings that to me, I can't say he's a liar about that because that's true. There are consequences to my sin. But when I can say no more, no more am I going to walk in an unholy life. No more am I going to repeat that same behavior. Then when he brings me that accusation, I can say, no, you're a liar because I don't do that anymore. I don't, I'm not that same person anymore. And when I can get to that point in my life, there's peace in the midst of the trouble. 
So today, we're going to talk about two feelings that come to us that we don't truly understand why they come and, what, and maybe what they're for. But I want to talk about condemnation and I want to talk about conviction. Condemnation and conviction. Holiness has been given a bad reputation by the enemy. And through, even, even through some good-meaning people that have pursued holiness as the goal rather than relationship with Jesus as the goal. See, if I make holiness the goal, then I'm setting myself up for failure and disappointment. And I'm setting myself up for condemnation. But when I make my goal relationship with Jesus through holiness, then holiness just becomes a vehicle, not the goal. You know what I'm saying? makes a big difference because now it impacts my motivation. Pursuing holiness for holiness' sake is typically a list of rules and regulations. If I'm just going to pursue holiness to be holy and, and not really to be in relationship with Jesus, then really what I'm doing is I'm making rules and regulations. And when I'm doing that, I'm setting myself up for condemnation. And we're going to talk quite a bit about that today and try to understand that. But when I can make my holiness to pursue a relationship with Jesus... That sets me free from the list. Sets me free from the bondage of the list. But it yet gives me the experience of genuine love and relationship with Christ because he looks down at me and says, I see your heart. And your heart is to have relationship with me. And the Bible says, Jesus says, if you obey me, if you, back up, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll obey. That obeying might have a list. But I'm doing it not just to satisfy the list, but I'm doing it because why? Because I love Jesus. And I don't want to disappoint him in any way, shape, or form. That's what we're talking about. Rules and regulations bring a side effect that they weren't intended to bring. But that side effect is when I fail in the rules and regulations and I have guilt and I have shame and I have condemnation. And it's important that we understand how we get through the list, through the relationship with Christ, so that I don't have the guilt of failure, even when I do fail. Because I'm going to fail in some of those things. I'm not going to be perfect, and I'm not preaching a life of perfection. I'm not putting that on you that you have to be perfect. But I am stressing that we have to pursue the relationship with Jesus. And because he is so forgiving and graciousness, gracious to us, and his love is so encompassing that he helps us get through the imperfections of our life without bringing the condemnation that the devil would bring. But it's only because I'm making my goal to be in relationship with Jesus, not my goal to be holy. Big difference. Amen? We're going to get there. We'll find that out. Yet I find so many of us are struggling with feelings of condemnation and guilt. And they're very confusing and unsettling in our spirit. So why do we have them? And should we have them? Is there a biblical reason that we should feel anything in our life besides peace? Is there a biblical reason that we should have any angst in our life? 
Is there a biblical reason why we should have anything besides just joy and happiness and peaceful feelings? Is there a healthy guilt? And is there an unhealthy guilt according to the Bible? Good topic. Good questions, aren't they? I know I've struggled with them. Maybe you have too. So let's try to identify and understand what these feelings are. There are two different names for these feelings that if we name them will help us to work through them. And one of them is condemnation, and the other one is conviction. What are they? What's the difference? Should I have either one? Biblically, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. If we're in a proper relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit, are we to have feelings of condemnation? Are we to feel, are we to feel condemned when I'm in a relationship with Jesus? The biggest difference, I will say, the biggest difference between condemnation and conviction, besides who they're for, but let me just get to this point first. We'll get to that second point. The biggest difference of the two is where they're leading you. Condemnation leads a person further away from Christ into eternal death because condemnation is saying you are worthless, you're hopeless. There's no future under condemnation. Conviction, on the other hand, leads one closer to Christ and closer towards eternal life because of what it's trying to do in your life. Biblically, condemnation is more than a feeling. I will just say that there's condemnation. We're going to get to some pretty hard points here, so hang on with me a little bit. Follow me if you can. I'll try to be as clear as I can. But condemnation is a state of being that defines your relationship with God. When you stand before God condemned, it means your current eternal home is away from God in hell. To be condemned means that you have been found guilty and have been sentenced to death. Conviction, on the other hand, leads us towards correcting some of those things in our life that need to be dealt with as we're progressing on our road to holiness. The Bible explains that Christians can be convicted, yet not condemned. We can be found guilty of sin and yet not be sentenced to the just judgment of those sins as we allow conviction to do its work in our life. Romans 8, 1 through 2 says, so, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has set you free from the power of sin that leads to, that leads to death. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. See, in love, God makes Christians aware of sin, that's conviction, without giving us the sentence, which is condemnation, for that sin. As a Christian, we get conviction, not condemnation. But conviction is supposed to be useful in our life because it's supposed to lead us towards Christ. See, Jesus sent his Holy Spirit after he left to bring conviction and to allow, to allow humans to escape condemnation. God doesn't just remove the penalty of our sin without bringing conviction. Rather, through a loving conviction of sin, God draws him, us to himself and he causes us to repent and he leads us towards 
eternal life. And there's a process here. There's a process of sorrow, and there's a process of repentance, and there's a process that we need to walk through as we get to this. And I want to read a passage in 2 Corinthians um, that Paul wrote to the church there. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 10. And this is Paul writing a letter, a hard letter that needed to be written to the church in Corinth. We don't know exactly what the issues were that Paul was dealing with in this specific letter, but there was something here that need, needed to be said, and Paul had to say it very directly. So this, is how, this was Paul's response. This is what happened. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 8. Paul says, I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. So Paul describes two different types of pain and sorrow, each one having a different source and each one having a different ending point. It's important that we understand the difference in the two and that we focus on the right perspective or the right kind of sorrow if we're going to have this, the, the outcome that we desire to have, and that is to be closer to Christ and not further away from Christ. So that's what we're talking about today. I want to talk to you in ways that we can avoid the harm of condemnation and seek after the great gain of conviction. I want to, I want to learn how to avoid condemnation, but yet seek conviction. Conviction is a good thing. We need to understand more about this. Let me just, let's go back and talk about condemnation. Let's talk about who these are for. Okay, who are these feelings for? Condemnation is for the unbeliever, and conviction is for the believer. Condemnation is for the unbeliever, and conviction is for the believer. We must be careful that we, that we don't over-apply biblical truths uh, outside of the context of what the Bible wants us to experience them in. All right, I'll explain that in a minute. See, while God is love, which he is, right? We all agree God is love. God loves us all. Yet, and he desires every human, that's you and I, he desires us all to repent and to be saved from the sin. But while he is all love, he is still a just God, and he is still perfect in his judgments. So love does not erase judgment. Love does not trump Holiness. Love does not trump his just character. He, he, by definition, he is a just God. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. So God is loving God, and he's a patient God. That's why he's delayed his coming for so long, because he's waiting for everybody that would to receive him. 
He's not hurrying to judge anybody. God wants us all to come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, no matter who you are. He wants you to know his son, Jesus, and he wants you to be saved. He wants me to be saved, and he wants to have an eternal relationship with all of us. Very patient in that. Yet at the same time, he will bring his justice to bear in the end. Those that have had the choice and have rejected God will be punished even though God loves them unconditionally. His justice is perfect. And God will will condemn those who reject Jesus. Even though he's a loving God, God is also a condemning God for those that have not received his son. We need to realize that. While God does save people, he will also condemn people that have not put their faith in Christ. God actually does condemn people. Hard to think that way. But if God did not condemn people for their sin, then there would have been no reason for him to send Christ. If God wouldn't condemn people of their sin, hear me, then there would have been no reason for Jesus to die on the cross. Why did Jesus have to go through all that if God isn't going to be just with his judgments? Why would he put his son at the scourging of humans, the beating and the terrible penalty and the terrible suffering that Jesus went through to hang on that cross? Why would he have done that if at the end God's going to say, well, I guess it wasn't really necessary for you to accept Jesus. I'll let you in because you're a good guy. That, by definition, is not a good judge. If I, was to, if I had a speeding ticket that I legitimately had and I went down to the judge downtown and I said, judge, let me off because I'm a good guy. And he says, okay, I'll let you off because you're a good guy. That's not a good judge. The judge must do his job to carry out the laws of the land. Right? God is the same way. Perfectly in that. So even though, even though we, we will want to go to people, because we love people and because we don't want to hurt people, oftentimes we will go to people and we will try to uh, help them escape their feelings of condemnation by telling them that God loves you so much. God's not going to condemn you. See, we, we think we're helping that person. We think we're going to that person and saying, you know, we don't want to condemn I'm not condemning you. I, I don't have the right as a man, as a pastor, as a friend. I don't have the right to condemn. But God does. And then God's word says he will, then I need to be, as a pastor that's going to be right standing before the Lord, I need to tell you what God says. And God says that if you you reject Jesus, he will condemn you. That's the truth of God's word. And for me to say it any other thing, any other way, because I don't want to hurt your feelings, would be not to love you. Because then I would be giving you a path that wouldn't be leading to eternal life. I would be giving you a path that made you like me, but you would be getting to the point of the, at the end of your life and God says, no, guys, I, geez, I can't accept you because you don't know my son. And, and you can say, well, but my pastor said, you can say, I don't really care what your pastor said. I, I don't really care what that man said because my word says this. And so that's all I'm trying to proclaim here, okay? So you can like me because I'm not trying to do anything that's not right. The reason that many people feel condemned in the world is because they are condemned. Let's just say it. If, you're feeling, if you don't have Christ in your life, if you're living an unholy life, can I just say you're condemned? Because that's what the Bible says. But God's, 
by God's definition of holiness, he has no choice but to condemn anything that isn't holy, right? The way to escape condemnation, very important, the way to escape condemnation is not to believe that God does not condemn you because he loves you. Rather, you must realize that God sent his son, Jesus, to remove your condemnation because he loves you that much. (laughs) So if you want to remove condemnation, you have to realize that Jesus is the way to remove condemnation. It's only through the blood of Christ that a man can stand non-condemned before God the Father. It's not because I would say it because I want to make you feel good. It's because Jesus paid the price. And now I must receive his penalty that he paid for me. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. See, God's plan to redeem us was from the very beginning of time. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Beginning at verse 4, going through verse 7. Even before he made the whole world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. It's God's plan to redeem you. It's God's plan to take away your condemnation. He purchased us out of slavery to sin. God loves us, but his love is not expressed through pardoning without a punishment of the sin that man created. The crucifixion. I mean, Christ hanging on that cross right there. That's the redeeming act of love that makes it possible for us to escape condemnation. And now it's up to us. It's up to you and me today. Are we going to accept it? Are we going to accept the forgiveness of Jesus? Are we going to accept his, his penalty for us? Are we going to apply the blood of Christ into our life that we then can be free from condemnation that we deserve? Because without Christ, I deserve the condemnation because I've sinned, because I was born a sinner. But through the blood of Christ, I can be free from the condemnation. That's why I can read for Romans chapter 8 that I read at the beginning. That's why I can read that where it says, so, so therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. That's why I can read that because I have accepted Jesus Christ and he has removed my condemnation. Therefore, there is now no more condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You've got to say that to yourself over and over sometimes because sometimes the enemy will continue to bring that guilt and that condemnation. But you can say, no, therefore there is no condemnation because I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. John chapter 3, 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So if you doubted the fact that I said earlier that God is a condemning God, it's right here. He condemns those that do not believe in his son. But if you believe in his son, there is now no for there is no condemnation. Amen.
That is a reason to celebrate today because I have no condemnation because of Christ Jesus. So does that mean now, let me get to the next point. Does that mean because I am free from condemnation that I shouldn't feel any pain or sorrow in this world because of that? Because Jesus came into my life, does that mean I should not have any pain? No. This is where conviction comes in. I wish it wasn't so. But conviction, really, when I understand what's going on with conviction, it is the best thing that ever happened to me. Conviction is something I need to seek, even though I don't like it. If we're going to find that conviction is good, we have to realize that it's going to appear as pain and sorrow, and it's going to be something that we don't really want to invite into our life. But yet, when I know what it's doing for me, it's the best thing that I could ever experience is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Without conviction, one would be a great risk of going astray and losing what Jesus gave us. Without conviction, I would be at great risk of staying on that narrow path. Remember, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, you enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who chose, choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Do you see that? The gateway to the God's kingdom is through a narrow gate, and the road is narrow. But the road to hell is wide and easy. And so if I'm going to stay on that narrow gate, I need some markers in my life. I need something to keep me on the narrow road. I need something to make sure that I'm not wandering off and finding that easy way out there. And so that's where conviction comes in. Let me say this, and I'll prove it through Scripture, that all Christians will experience regular and healthy times of convictions. All Christians will experience regular and healthy times of conviction. One of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict. He's your comforter. He's your peace giver. But he's also a convictor. John 16, 8. And when he comes, that's the Holy Spirit that Jesus is talking about. And when he sends the Holy Spirit, when he comes, six, John 16, verse 8, he will convict the world of its sin and God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The Holy Spirit's job is to bring conviction. We as Christians need to have the convicting power of the, whole, of the Holy Spirit in our lives to keep us on the straight and narrow road. We need that. It's good for us. Even though it doesn't feel good at the time, even though it's going to require some things of us, we need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I want to read a passage in Hebrews, a really lengthy passage, in, rather lengthy passage in Hebrews, starting at verse, Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 5. But this talks about punishment. Now, nobody likes punishment. But this is a form of conviction. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. This is in a New Living Translation. It says, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure his divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? Now, let me stop here just for a second. How many here was, were disciplined by your fathers? Okay. Was it fun? How many here has ever had a spanking? 
Yeah, Rick, you had a lot of them. <laughs> I got to tell you, here's the thing, though, that people don't recognize. When my dad was going to spank me, he'd get out the belt. I knew it was coming. And he always did it. He never, ever, one, not one time did he ever say, Mike, I don't want to discipline you right now, so I'm going to go over and have the neighbor do it. He did it. People have a hard time recognizing that God is a disciplinarian. When God disciplines, he disciplines. He doesn't give you over to Satan to discipline because if he gave you to Satan to discipline, Satan probably would kill you. Because Satan doesn't love you. God loves us so much that he does the discipline. And what's wrong with that? What's wrong with recognizing my loving father as my dad did? He did the discipline. And then he sat me down on his lap afterwards. And here's the real discipline process. It wasn't to spank him. It was sitting down afterwards. And he said, do you know why I had to do that? I had to spank you because... You disrespected your mother or you because you did that to your brother or whatever the reason was. And that was where the discipline happened because then he gave me the understanding of the spanking. The spanking just got my attention because until I got until he got my attention, I wasn't going to listen. But when I finally got through that spanking process to say, all right, I'll, I'll listen now. <laughs> he got my attention, Dad. I'll listen. Then the discipline happened. And that's exactly the same thing God's doing to us. He spanks us sometimes through conviction because he says, guys, I've got to get your attention. Wake up. I've got to tell you, the things that are going on in this world right now is God's discipline. Look at the weather patterns. Look at the political structure. Look what's going on in the Middle East. And I'll tell you what, look at the earthquakes and the, and, and, and the, the um, volcanoes going off. If you don't read Scripture and see God's attempt to get our attention, you're blind and you're, not, you're putting your head in the sand. I'm telling you, the time is coming very quickly that his return is near. And he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to say, wake up, people. Wake up, church. It's time. It's getting close. And I need you to go out and be the church to people that don't know me. That's what it's about. If God doesn't discipline you as he does his children, it means that you're illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful, but afterward there will be a peaceful harvest for right living for those who are trained in this way. Amen. We can admit it. It's no fun to be disciplined. I mean, I'm not saying that I enjoy when God convicts me. I'm not saying I enjoy that at all. I don't. It's no fun. Nobody likes that. It doesn't feel good. But remember, God is disciplining while the enemy is condemning. And there's a significant difference that we must also keep in our minds. God is disciplining, and while he's disciplining, the devil is condemning you. And he's trying to get you to think that God's discipline is condemnation. But it's not. It's God's loving discipline coming to you to say, wake up, Mike. You're off here on this little area. Wake up. Read the scripture. Know what you're supposed to do and do it. 
Don't compromise with it. And don't, I mean, you can sit here and you can cast the devil out of your life because you've got conviction. And God's saying, no, that's not the devil. That's me trying to get your attention in some areas in your life. There's great reward for those that will accept the discipline of God's life. Let's, let's go back to that 2 Corinthians passage where Paul was writing to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's pick it up in verse 11. Just see how much good this grief from the Lord did for you. You no longer shrugged your shoulders but became earnest and sincere and very anxious to get rid of the sin that I wrote you about. You became frightened about what had happened and longed for me to come and help. You went right to work on the problem and cleared it up, punishing the man who sinned. You have done everything you could to make it right. That's what punishment does. That's what conviction does. It says, okay, what can you do to make it right? You know what? That's part of repentance. That's what the repentance process is. See, saying you're sorry doesn't really mean much because you really don't know what are you sorry for. That's the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. If I'm just sorry that I got caught, that's not really not sorrow at all. That just means that I'm going to be smarter next time to not get caught. But if I'm sorry that I actually did it, that is the beginning of godly sorrow. And that's the sorrow that leads to repentance. And then repentance says, I'm going to go back and I'm going to try to make right what I did wrong. And what I can't make right for what I did wrong, I'm going to just ask God's forgiveness over it. So therefore, I'm not going to want to go back and repeat that same sin. If I hurt somebody, I want to go back and try to make it up to that person. Whatever the situation is. Repentance is a process that takes work. That's why people don't like it, because it takes effort. It's easy to say, I'm sorry. It's harder to say, I repent, because repentance takes an action. So disciplining is a, is a process. It's, it's, it's not a fun process. And I'm just going to skip to the end here, and I'm going to pick this up next week, because I don't want to over, overdo your seat of your attention. And I want to have communion today. And this is a good opportunity for us to understand what it is to truly accept God's conviction. Because before we have communion today, I want you to invite the Lord's conviction in your heart. I want you to see how serious communion is. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Jackie, could you come please? 1 Corinthians chapter 11 talks to us. Paul's talking about having communion at the Lord's table. We're going to start at verse 27. It says, So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ... In other words, without being truly saved, without truly having a relationship with Jesus, if you're eating the bread and drinking the cup because of peer pressure, then you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Hear me, folks. The reason that I'm talking this way is because I love you so much that I do not want anyone to be mistaken 
by the clear word of God. I know we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. My wife knows I'm not perfect. But I submit to the Lord every day. And I come to him every day and I say, Father, would you please forgive me again? I repent. I truly want a holy life. Because with holiness, when I am holy, holy, it is a joyful life. It is a life beyond guilt because I don't have condemnation. I have conviction and I welcome that because that keeps me holy. But I'm not condemned. I know my future is in heaven. And I know that when I pass from this earth, no matter when it happens, if I slip and fall and bump my head and knock myself out, and if I die this afternoon, I am going to heaven. And that gives me great peace and great assurance. If I live another 80, 30 years till, till I'm 90, I know I'm going to heaven because I'm committed to a holy lifestyle. No matter what happens, no matter what my finances do, no matter what happens to me, no matter what people do to me, I'm committed to a holy lifestyle. That's joy. That's peace. That's assurance. It's worth it. It's worth it. Okay. Now this morning, maybe you'd be wondering, am I qualified to accept communion today? Because I did some things wrong this week. Let me tell you how you are qualified. Simply ask Jesus to forgive you. Simply come to him right now and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. And so I'm going to ask us all this morning to stand up, if you would, with me. And this is where, guys, when an altar call is given, the devil will tell you the only people that should respond to an altar call are the sinners. (laughs) That's what the devil says. Because he doesn't want the Christian to feel conviction in his heart and to make it right. So altar calls are not for sinners only. They are for Christians. So when we give an altar call to say, hey, listen, if there's anything in your life that's not right with the Lord, do something about it. Do something about it. Don't just sit there and think, oh, I'm going to justify it away. And by the time I get out of my car, the conviction is going to be gone. So therefore, I must be okay. No, what that doing is that's hardening your heart. What that's doing is that it's giving you a hard conscience so that you won't listen to the Holy Spirit next time. And let me tell you, if you're playing the game that seriously, there's going to come a time when God's going to stop calling. That's what the Bible says. There's going to come a time when he's going to stop calling you. There's going to come a time when he's going to say, okay, if you're so bent on having it your way, then have it your way. And I'm going to stop convicting you. So when I give an altar call, or any pastor gives an altar call, and if there's any angst within you at all, the worst thing you can do is to press it down and say, nope, it's for somebody else. Nope, I don't want anybody to see me raise my hand. Nope, I don't want to see anybody go to the altar. No, because I don't want people to think that I'm not living a perfect life. I'm telling you, you're not living a perfect life. So when the altar call is given, we all should be at the front. I'm the first one because when I give an altar call and I said, anybody raise your hand, my hand's the first one up because I'm guilty, okay? So it's not about trying to make you look good or bad. It's trying to make us sensitive to the conviction, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. That qualifies us for communion today.
That's it. It's only because of that that we can come before the Lord and, 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 and appreciate what Jesus did on the cross. So this morning, as we prepare for communion, we're going to sing a song, and I want to just challenge you to make that personal this morning. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you about anything, come on up to the front, be honest before the Lord, repent, say, I'm sorry, cleanse me, Father, make me wholly worthy to receive communion. And maybe this is the first time. Maybe you had never given your heart to the Lord before. This is a great time to do it. This is a great opportunity to give Jesus your life right now. Amen. Let's sing the song. Unless I'm just going to invite you to come up as you as you need to. Father, thank you, Jesus. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me. Because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love. my joy to honor you in all I do I honor you Father I just commit ourselves to you today and I pray Jesus that you would just go and do your mighty work in our hearts and lives today Lord thank you for your forgiveness thank you for your conviction thank you for doing the things in our life that make us recognize that you truly are in love with us. Not condemning us, but truly in love with us. And I praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.